You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. We have arrived at uh, sermon number three in this three-week sermon series called Held Together, where we have been looking at what it means to live a life in Christ while we also live in a world that keeps giving us strategies whereby we can hold things together on our own? What does it mean to, to turn our eyes, uh, our attention, and to turn our hearts toward the one who holds all things together, in, including us? We've been looking at this through the eyes of St. Paul as he uh, not only gives us the, the theme verse in, in Colossians 1, but, but also the experience of his, whole, his own life as he confronts the church at, at Corinth, who is not happy with him as he answers their complaints um, about how he is having trouble holding it together in their minds. And what he does consistently in all of these texts is try and redirect their attention to the one who holds all things together, Jesus Christ, and to direct their attention off of him and off of his strengths and weaknesses and on to the, to the message that he carries and, and the word that he brings to them, which is a word about Jesus. So Paul, again, in answering a a complaint about his ministry uh, in chapter 4, writes this uh, to the Corinthians. He says, Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, move us beyond our own pinched and stunted imaginations, our own limited understanding about what makes life work. And help us to see ourselves as a part of what you are doing. Graciously included in the ministry of life that you bring to us through Jesus. Lord, help us to receive that. 
and then open our arms and hands to share it with our world. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In talking with uh, friends who are in the process of trying to sell homes uh, in this particular market, uh, they are being informed again and again that if they really want to sell their house, they need to do something called staging it. Now, if you have not heard of staging homes, uh, it's something like this. You, um, you or, or some decorator that you pay comes in and um, removes all clutter, uh, basically does things like uh, put pillows where we know they never stay, <laughs> you know, sort of drape this luscious afghan over the bed, and, and the afghan is kind of caressing this this tray, and on it is this teapot with a few scones on a china plate. <laughs> there are numerous other things that are done, flowers, etc., etc. But essentially what it means to stage a home is to make it look like no one lives there. <laughs> and in, in doing that, in doing that, it's almost as if the, the unstated message is, buy this house and your life will be this together too. Buy this house and you'll be in the perfect container that will contain all of your belongings and will keep your life in perfect feng shui balance and symmetry. To stage a house is to kind of make it look like what you look at on the pages of Sunset Magazine. You know, Sunset Magazine, the magazine of Western living, the, the magazine where uh, writes about uh, beautiful homes, beautiful, perfect homes and beautiful, perfect places and, and how to build the beautiful, perfect death deck that's attached to the home on which you eat the beautiful and perfect meals that are made up of the recipes that are also in the magazine. What's interesting, though, if you keep filing through Sunset Magazine and go all the way to the classified ads, there's something very interesting in the back of Sunset Magazine. In this magazine of perfect Western living in perfect places, in perfect homes in perfect places, guess what there are ads for? Military schools. <laughs> places to send your teenager to go to school because you can't handle him or her. We can spend our lives making perfect containers and trying to emit and show forth to the world that we have it all together. But the dirty little secret is in the back of the Sunset Magazine. And that's that we don't. And that families fall apart irrespective of whether or not they look like they have it all together. Think of what's going on inside all those perfect homes in perfect places that have every detail in place. The container might look great, but take a peek inside and what do you see? It's kind of a different twist 
on what Jesus said to the Pharisees. When he said, oh, you Pharisees, you, you love to wash everything on the outside. You love to make it all pristine and beautiful. But inside, is there transformation? As you take care and polish the container of your lives, is there something similar happening on the inside? And, and Jesus says, for the most part, no, there isn't. Because you apply your laws and your rules and your beautifiers like cosmetics, but inside you are rotting and decaying. You're like whitewashed tombs, you Pharisees. The containers don't always give witness to what's going on inside. That's why it's interesting that Paul discusses containers and, and kind of flips this image for us in, in 2 Corinthians. For what he's doing is addressing himself to a Corinthian church who basically doesn't like the container of Paul's ministry. And guess what the container of Paul's ministry is? Paul. They don't like the way he presents. They don't really much like his message. In Corinth, there was a faction of people who were triumphalists. They loved talking about the resurrection and the victory of Jesus, but uh, Good Friday and the cross didn't make much sense to them, and so they, they spiritualized it or passed right over it. And so Paul, in his first letter, says, you know, the, 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 folly, the, the, the cross seems to be folly to the Greeks, foolishness to the Greeks, and a stumbling block to the Jews. You, you Greeks laugh at it because it doesn't seem to have any power to it. And you Jews stumble over it because the Messiah is not supposed to be the way that Jesus was on the cross. But he's really addressing himself especially to the Greeks in, in Corinth who just can't look at the cross of Jesus Christ because it isn't victorious enough. And they had a hard time not only with Paul's message, but also with Paul's person. Because he wasn't very impressive. There, had other, there were other preachers that had come through that were more impressive, but Paul was not impressive. And, and they, they, they didn't like his appearance. They didn't like the way he presented. They, they didn't like the way he used words. And so they complained about the container that the, the message was being brought to them in. And Paul directs their attention away from himself once again. And, and he says, we are engaged in this ministry by the mercy of God. I love that word mercy. We think of it as a word that um, means something like, please don't hit us, <laughs> uh, God. Uh, you know, please, please have mercy. Don't, don't snuff us out. Don't, don't hit us with a lightning bolt. That's the way we, we sometimes think of this word, have mercy, as if, if it's a word that can only be said uh, in the midst of fear and, and groveling. But this word mercy is actually a, a, a wonderfully gentle word that describes the loving kindness of God. Certain versions of it talk about literally the, the intros, the, the depths of God's feeling, the tender mercy of God. Mercy at its core is gift. It's undeserved gift. It's this, this loving bestowment of, of something that we did nothing to earn, but, but is given to us nevertheless. And Paul says essentially, this ministry that we're doing, this thing that you're complaining about, this thing that you're criticizing us over really isn't ours. We didn't do anything to win it. 
it's not a prize that, that we were given because we were so qualified. It's, it's not something that, that God handed to us because we could be so trusted with it because we'd proved that. Quite the contrary. Paul calls himself the least of all apostles because he was a persecutor of the church. How in the world could a persecutor of the church be the one who actually brings this life-giving message of the mercy of God to people? He knew his inadequacy for the task. The Corinthians didn't need to remind him of that. But what he does is point them back in the direction of where the message comes from. It comes from the heart of God. And we didn't do anything to earn this ministry. God just bestowed it upon us as a gift. We're carrying something we never could have come up with on our own, says Paul. So don't criticize us. We're just being ourselves and delivering the message that God has given us to give to you. We are giving witness to that which is not ourselves, but is God's. So we have this ministry by the mercy of God, not by reward of our own behavior. And then he goes on to say in in verse 7, essentially kind of affirms them once again for their opinion of him. And he says, you're right. We hold this treasure, we hold this gospel, we hold this incredibly valuable gift in a clay pot, which is our body. We deliver it to you in the most low and menial form of kitchen vessel, the kind that you have to have a lot of because they break so easily and that are cheap to buy. So compared to this message, says Paul, you know what we are? Compared to this message, this treasure that we carry, we are cheap, fragile, unrepairable, expendable earthen pots. So you're right about us, Corinth. We are not impressive. But we carry something that's incredibly impressive. Our function is to give witness to that. And our failure or our perceived failure on your part because you can't pick it up Well, that's no reflection on the message. That's more of a reflection on your ability to receive it. Paul says, we're clay pots. We may be beaten up. We may be bruised. We may have been persecuted. We may not look very victorious in your mind as we spread this gospel of the victory of Jesus. But we don't lose heart. We keep going. We have confidence because what we know is that we carry something that is far more valuable than anything we have to offer in and of ourselves. We don't lose heart because even if we are weak, even if we don't do a great job in presenting this to you in a way you can receive it, what is still true is that you have business to do with God. You have business to do with God, Corinth, and not even our weakness can get in the way of that business. So we do not lose heart. You may not hear this message through us, but God is going to keep sending it to you. Of that we know. Well, we often think about these words that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians as, as a principle that, that applies to our work as evangelists, as, as believers and followers of Jesus. That 
we should see ourselves as, as weak vessels who, who carry, like Paul, the precious contents of, of the gospel to others. But I think there's a deeper implication and, and application of this notion of receiving not just our ministry, but our entire life, of which our ministry is a part, our entire life, receiving it as a gift from God. And it's a message that teaches us about stewarding our lives, because when we see them as a gift from God, we really do see life differently. Paul talks in this text about the God of this age or the God of this world, and he's not talking about the God who, dis- who reveals himself in Jesus Christ here. He's, he's really talking about Satan. He's talking about the evil force of the systems, the principalities and powers that we live in every single day. And he says, the God of this world blinds you to the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it puts a veil over it because it makes you think you understand that, that life is, is primarily about acquiring and retaining your victory that you so want to win. But that's the lie of the God of this world. Because what gives shape to life is not acquiring and retaining or winning and holding all of what you think will help you hold on to life and hold it together. What life is about is not about building the container that you build in order to hold what you have acquired and to protect it from everybody else. No. Life is about acquiring, not acquiring and retaining, but life is about receiving and sharing. If life is given to us as a gift as the, by the mercy of God, then it's not ours to go and seize. It's ours to open our hands and arms in order to receive. And it's not ours to hold on to and, and try to protect, but it's ours to hold on to loosely and, and share because the abundance is always going to be there. Because the source of that abundance has no limits. He just keeps giving that mercy and grace. Life isn't about winning the hard-fought battle of getting everything in place so that we can have balance. Don't you love it? Everyone says, oh, I just want some balance in my life. You know, if I could just get balanced, then things would be okay. If I, if I had all of the things on either side of the scale that would keep me in perfect balance, life would be so good. If I had every cubbyhole filled, life would seem so much in symmetry. So my task, therefore, is to get it all in balance. But that's not what life's about. In God's scheme of things, it's about receiving the life-giving word that even though we're flawed and vulnerable clay pots, God still pours his treasure into us. But that doesn't keep us from fighting hard to try and achieve that self-won battle for the acquisition of balance. But it's a balance that we try to retain without God and Frankly, trying to achieve and retain that balance is often the very thing that that pulls us apart. Last week I mentioned the the, uh, 
91 Volvo station wagon that's going off with my son. Well, that car saw several trips over many years uh, every summer when we would take, uh, for 12 years in a row, we, we would take a trip up uh, to British Columbia to camp with two other families in uh, a place on Howe Sound just beyond Vancouver uh, called Porto Cove. And, um, of course, in order to tent camp, um, you have to take a lot of stuff with you. And um, that one of my jobs uh, in the family um, was to make sure that the items needed by a family of four uh, with one dog uh, and a few bicycles um, could make their way into this Volvo uh, in order to make the trip up to um, Porto Cove. That was my job. I was, if you will, the self-appointed manager and balancer of the fragments of the trip. And, um, you know, this, this, was a, this was a sense that was very practical. You had to get all of this camping stuff in there and all of these people in there. And, um, and yet I have to admit that there was not just the, the practical reality of getting the things up there. I also wanted to do it in a way where it didn't appear that we were a modern representation of what John Steinbeck kind of wrote about in The Grapes of Wrath. I didn't really want the Volvo looking like the Jode family truck making its way from Arkansas with all sorts of things, you know, polyps kind of oozing out from either side of it and uh, things strapped on the bike rack other than, than bikes. And, and so it was a very important thing for me to try and achieve the perfect symmetry and balance of packing this car. And so I would invite everyone to bring everything down that was going to be packed and let me do the work of packing uh, because I, of course, was the only one who knew how to do this. And uh, they would bring everything down, and periodically I would, you know, uh, check in with them as I was packing. And the process of packing was really, you know, kind of becoming one with the empty space and, and one with the pile over here, and, and then just imagining how they were all going to go together. And it was a very spiritual thing in many ways. And... <laughs> Uh, so I'd keep yelling up the stairs, okay, is everything down now? You got everything out, you know, and things would trickle out, and, and I'd say it again. And wouldn't you know it, every single time I would finish, things would be in perfect balance, and someone would come down the stairs with something else. <laughs> and the balance was di disrupted. And usually that disruption would cause a corresponding eruption from me. <laughs> Dad, we forgot my bike. You're just going to have to carry it on your lap. <laughs> so my birthday would usually happen on these trips. And we got used to celebrating my birthday while we were camping. And uh, toward the end of that time, or maybe even a couple of vacations past the time we, we kept going to that, my kids gave me a book on vacation. Um, and the book is called Learn to Relax. <laughs> and they, of course, wrote in it, I have not read the book. Um, <laughs> It's very nice, I mean, but it's, uh, you know. Uh, 
but they wrote an inscription in it, and, and it says this. For those times we're packing the car for Porto Cove, those times one of us ruins the car, those times where dinner gets cold or overcooked, and those times when you feel like pulling out the rest of your hair, <laughs> we give you this book, Love, Justin and Laura. Life happens. And when life happens, our balance gets disrupted. We try to maintain it, but it's really impossible to sustain it for any lengthy period of time. And you see those containers that we build, you know, to organize all the fragments, to keep everything in perfect symmetry and balance. They don't come through for us. They don't come through for us because life happens. Life happens and it's much better, therefore, to loosen our grip than it is to maintain that tightly held, almost death grip on the things that we think we need to have in order to sustain ourselves. When we maintain that death grip on acquiring and maintaining, instead of loosening our grip on life in order to receive and to share, well, we ultimately fail to receive the mercy of God. But if we can loosen that grip and receive and share, we know ourselves to be wealthy people because God has bestowed on us the greatest of all gifts, which is his loving kindness, and that's not going away. And it's what holds us together. St. Paul says it for us best in Philippians 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be seen by all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts in your minds, in Christ Jesus. Let your gentleness be seen by all. The Lord is near. We don't have to grip life as tightly as we do. We can hold on loosely. We can be gentle. Why? Because we are being held on to by the one who holds all things together. Let's pray. Lord, bring us out of that stunted and pinched place of thinking that it's all in our hands, that we have to achieve the balance, that we have to fill up and tie together all of the pieces, that we have to build the container that holds them all neatly. Lord, teach us to be those clay pots who receive the life that you pour into us and carry it in the confidence of knowing that we need not lose heart. Speak to us, Lord, and teach us to be gentle through Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette.
To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.